And, and as you've heard from Jeremy, our reading this morning is taken from ta- chapter 10 of St. Luke's Gospel. And if you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles, you will find it on page 1041, 1041. And we're reading chapter 10, and we're reading from verses 1 to 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. I can't hear you. Good morning. My name is Isaac, and uh, a member of this church, and uh, it's a massive privilege to bring you the word this morning. Let's pray for God to help us. Lord, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We do ask you that you'll be pleased to speak to us through your word this morning. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now, for the last six or seven weeks, we've been going through the book of Luke, specifically chapter 8 and chapter 9. And um, the issues in those chapters are are, are given to us right at the beginning of that section, which starts from chapter 7. And and if you look back uh, at chapter 7, verse 19 to 20, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who has come, or shall we look for another? Or if you look in chapter 7 later in verse 49, they ask, who is this who even forgives sins? Or later in chapter 8, verse 25, who is this that he commands even the winds and they obey him? And I think the issue here is very clear in these chapters. It's the issue of identity, identity, identity of Christ. And of course, later in chapter 9, verse 35, we get this declaration, this affirmation of Jesus Christ with a voice coming from the clouds from heaven saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. So, Jesus is is God's son, who we must listen to. And of course, the miracles that we saw in between all those chapters do authenticate who Jesus is. But I think in those chapters, there is another issue that we looked at, and it's as important as the first one, and this is the issue of salvation. You might remember that when Jesus had this interaction with a sinful woman, and after they had this interaction, Jesus forgave her sins, in verse 49, but in verse 50, Jesus goes on to say, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And here, saved can only mean salvation. And Luke uses this word saved throughout this, throughout his gospel to mean salvation. And so, at the end of chapter 9, we get to see this wonderful picture of Jesus, the Son of God, with all the authority who brings salvation to us. Jesus the rescuer, Jesus the savior. But notice the turning point uh, in in verse 51 of chapter chapter 9. I'm going to read it. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus 
resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus starts his ultimate journey to heaven, but this journey must take him via the cross. And as we saw last week, he invites us, he invites you and me, but this journey must also take us via the cross too. In other words, he's saying there's going to be a very big cost on following Jesus. And this is serious stuff. Remember, he said, home and family must come only second to me. And of course, in our passage this morning, we are going to continue to look at that nature of discipleship of following Jesus. And it's clear in our passage this morning that it involves the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the gospel. You might remember in chapter 9, Jesus had already sent out the 12 to preach and heal, and now he extends it to the 72 with the same message, preach and heal indeed. And in verse 3, he tells them what to expect. He tells them, go, I'm sending you I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. Do you feel like a lamb among wolves? I remember the first time um, a few years ago, I started a new job, and uh, I, I was on my first day, I was, I was taken around. It was this massive, big open office. I was taken around, I was shown around, and eventually I was shown my desk, which was right at the end of the big room, and whilst I was putting my bag down to settle in, I had a voice calling out saying, Isaac, Isaac. So everyone looked at me because I'm the new guy. Anyway, she shouted, are you Christian? And for a moment I paused. I was a bit stuttered. And after a little while, because everyone was looking at me, I said, of course I am. And of course, for the next few months, I was that weird Christian guy. I was weird, ridiculous. In fact, I was right at the bottom of the invitation list um, of social events. <clears throat> Sometimes I would get asked, how would you let this old book tell you how to live? They couldn't understand that. To them, the Christian message was offensive indeed. Some of you know here how, how it feels like to move among wolves. How does it feel? The 72 certainly would have felt it. Just imagine the trauma of being told, go ahead of this Galilean carpenter and tell everyone about the kingdom of God. Just imagine that. They would have felt it. They would have felt like lambs amongst wolves. You see, it's unnatural for lambs to go towards wolves. Lambs just run away from wolves. But what did Jesus tell them to inspire them, to encourage them to go and preach the word among us, these wolves? Well, we're going to look at four truths that Jesus tells them that inspires them to go and teach the word of God. And here is truth number one. God is in charge. You see, if we're in charge of any mission or any, mission or any ministry, it's overwhelming. Our ministry of the estate would be overwhelming. Or people who go out for parish visiting and knock on door, that would be absolutely overwhelming and terrifying. 
Oh, even the ministries in church where we minister to largely Christian people, that would still be very overwhelming. But God is in charge. Mission does not start with our initiative, or it did not start by the disciples getting together and form an initiative. No. The Lord appointed the 72 and sent them out two by two to go ahead of him in every town and every place he was about to go. Look at what he says to them in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You see, Jesus' main concern is not the lack of converts or the overwhelming numbers of people to be reached. No, that's not his concern. His concern is the lack of colleagues to gather the harvest which is going to happen. In his mind, in Jesus' mind, there is no doubt that there's going to be a bumper crop, a massive harvest. And of course, this must have, been, must have sounded ridiculous because it's, it's, it's one man, a carpenter, and a few little disciples in a little town. Must have sounded ridiculous, and it probably sounds ridiculous to us now. You know, the recent census uh, of 2021 say that for a very, very long time, that there is more than half of the population of England and Wales that identify as Christians. And no wonder the idea of having a plentiful harvest sounds ridiculous to us right now. But look at what Jesus commands them. He tells them, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Jesus is certain that there's going to be a massive harvest. And our key role here as Christian is that as we pray, we not only pray for God to use us, but also God to raise up our people in our church, in other churches in this country, but also in other churches in the world. Because he's sure there is going to be a bumper crop and a massive harvest. I don't know about you, it's very, very easy to stop praying. And it's, it's easy to stop praying because we have computers. They do everything. It's easy. Oh, I've got a solid plan. We've got solid plans in church here. Oh, we've got so many able and talented people in our congregation here. So we stop praying. Or maybe we've got fantastic resources. And we stop praying. But God is in charge. And this should immediately remind us that we should not be overconfident, but it should be a, an encouragement, a huge encouragement, because within ourselves, we cannot do it, but God can do it. So God is in charge. And here's a second reason why you might want, as a lamb, to go out and preach into the wolves. The gospel is good news. You remember in chapter 9, um, in chapter 9 when Jesus sends out the 12 he tells them to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal those who are ill. It's the same message he sends out with the 72. Look at verse 9. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 11. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. But of course, in our modern life, any talk of the king is, is threatening. We're in the age of the autonomous individual where self triumphs every day. And we say, I'm the king of my life. Thank you very much. The assumption is that any external authority needs to be limited 
as far as possible. Whether it's legal or moral, it should be limited to the bare minimum because we are the king of our lives. You know, we live in a society where we are free individuals. It's one of the things before, before, uh, before I came to, to the West, you know, when you watch TV and say, you know, the actors, we, we live in a free society, and it's fantastic, and we live in that society. We can do whatever we want, but if that is the assumption, then the message of the kingdom is rather threatening because you're not the king of your life. I'm not the king of my life. God is king and his kingdom is coming. And the message of the kingdom can be heard as threatening because we, we, we don't like our beliefs to be challenged, our thinking of relativism. We don't want that challenged. So we say, no, thank you. I am the, kings of my, I'm the king of, of my life. Interesting that a few years ago, if you went somewhere and you said, Christian is true, Christianity is true, some people would get upset and offended, but most people well, kind of go along with it. But if you said Christian is true now, it's not just that what we believe is true, but the moral truth is offensive to people. In fact, people think it's divisive, restrictive. And so you might begin to feel that evangelism is not a thing for you because we live in a culture that does not like truth or authority and assumes that the kingdom of God is bad news. But the message of the kingdom of God is great news. In fact, it's wonderful news. Look at verse 5. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Peace is the first message, is the first word, and it sums up the wonder of this message. Of course, we don't need to look far to notice that the world is still driven by warfare between two countries, within two countries, within communities, within families, and even marriages. But also that internal warfare within ourselves. There is lack of peace wherever you look, a massive lack of peace in the world. And ultimately, behind all that, those conflicts, is a rebellion against God. Now, I'm not saying that every, if every individual is experiencing conflict because of their rebellion against God, but that is the root of everything. But here is the good news. God did not wait for us to stop fighting him or fight each other. He came down in the person of Jesus and declared peace. Peace be upon you. Think about it. If you think that the kingdom of God, if you, if you think about it, the kingdom of God should not be encouraging message once you realize that you're rebellious, you're in rebellion of God. And once you hear that the kingdom of God is coming, your immediate response is being terrified because this means judgment, surely. And yet the amazing grace is that when the person of Jesus comes, he comes with a message of peace. Peace be with you. And it's possible because of his journey he ultimately takes to Jerusalem via the cross where he pays the penalty for you and me, and then he can say, peace.
But of course, peace needs to be received and enjoyed. Jesus tells them, if you're not welcome, move on, he says. If you're welcome, if you're welcome, stay and eat. And that speaks of wonderful fellowship. And of course, the 72 represent Jesus as he tells them that if they accept you, they accept me. So by staying and eating, you're representing fellowship with the king, the symbol of relationship with God. Verse 9, heal those who are ill. Heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Of course, these healings were particular for, for a particular time, a sign of the kingdom of God coming. Healing, healing the sick as a sign of God's blessing or forgiveness. Peace as the Holy Spirit transforms us. The gospel is good news. And here is a third truth, the message of judgment. Now, this is fact, not fiction. It is really going to happen. And we can see that in the book of Revelations. It is laid out, if you want to know more, it's laid out in detail. You see, the Gospels are not just about a message of peace and liberation for the present, but they're also warning to us. Look at verse 10. But when you enter a town and not welcome, go into the streets, say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. That's a very public gesture, isn't it? It is saying that this is serious. You reject the message of the kingdom, it does not change the reality that God is king and his kingdom is near and his son is coming back to reign and everyone will know it. Everyone will worship him. He comes offering forgiveness and he'll come again as the judge. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. He turns to these people of Kerosene and the Shedder. Now, we're not told much about these guys, but the people in these towns seem to to have seen the miracles of Jesus. They had the teaching. They saw the visible kingdom of God there, but they still rejected it. And Jesus is telling them, it will be worse for you because you've seen it. You've seen it with your own eyes. You've heard it with your own ears, but still rejected it. Now, the message of judgment is a very difficult one for us to hear because we all know someone, we all have loved ones who have not received it. Let's continue to pray for them that they'll receive this message of peace in their hearts. And here is truth number four, joy. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's interesting here, here that we see a little glimpse of, of the deep relaxation of Jesus. Jesus sent out the 72, two by two. They've had heavy hearts, as you would, knocking on doors of random people. And they, did, they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what the response would be. And yet, things have turned out far better than they expected. They were able to heal the sick. 
God's power was demonstrated of the transforming gospel. And so they, they return with joy. And verse 17 tells us that even the demons submitted to them in, in his name. They were amazed. They were overjoyed. You see, in most cultures, there is no doubt about the spiritual realm. There is no doubt that they are aware of this spiritual battle. It's not like us here in the West. We, we, it's, it's not obvious here that there is a spiritual battle going on. In fact, we're even embarrassed to talk about angels and demons. But let's not be under an illusion. There is spiritual warfare going on. Paul talks about it at length in the book of Ephesians. You see, evil power is not, is not, is not that politician who seems to pass wicked legislation that you, you don't agree with, or the government, or that random guy on Twitter who says all sorts of things. That is not the evil person. Or maybe that bully at work, that boss. That's not the evil that we're talking about here. Or that elder who seems to resist every change that we try. The evil here is Satan himself, and you and I are powerless against him. Look at what Jesus tells them in verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You see, as human beings, we are powerless and we are enslaved by Satan. He's got us exactly where he wants us, trapped in sin and death. But Jesus comes as the great liberator. But because we do not think in these categories of spiritual battles, we often miss that theme of Jesus coming as the great liberator. You might remember in the book of Luke, uh, in chapter 4, Jesus went out to the desert and he was tempted by Satan. It was almost like a rerun of what was in the Garden of Eden with Adam. But Jesus defeats Satan. He resists him and frees every other human being who has been trapped. Jesus is the perfect man. He's a new Adam. He's free. He's not under the oppression of Satan. And of course, later in chapter 4, he goes into Nazareth and preaches. And this is why he says, I am the one to bring freedom to those who are captive. Jesus is our great liberator. So let us rejoice in his power that is available to us, that with him Satan is defeated. Verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is not saying that it's a bad thing to rejoice in the spiritual power that we have in him. He's just saying there is something even greater. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that God knows you. Rejoice that you have spiritual security. It's amazing, isn't it, that our names are written in heaven. God knows them. We might not be promised a home on earth, but Jesus did not have one as well, as we heard from last week. Foxes don't have, have dens and birds of the air have houses, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a house. 
but we can rejoice that we do have a, we, that our names are, ne- are known in heaven and God knows us. So let us rejoice in our spiritual security. Let us rejoice that we do have a home in heaven. What encouragement that is. What encouragement that we all now can go out towards the wolves and preach to them. The kingdom, the, the kingdom of God is near. What an encouragement that is. God is in charge and therefore in his strength we can go among us the wolves. The gospel is wonderful news. In fact, it's the best news ever. And so we can go out and proclaim to it among us the wolves. And judgment is real. It's not fiction, but it's true and it's coming. But we can go and proclaim this gospel of peace and pray that it will be received. And finally, let us rejoice that God knows us and we do have a home in heaven. Thank you.